Maybe the first Sunday in January, you, like me, had your doubts about whether or not this could actually be done. Uh, and uh, this is, uh, we, we, are, we, we have done the vast majority of the Bible. Uh, out of the 1,189 chapters that are in your Bible, we have completed our study of 1,046 of those chapters which means that we have 143 chapters remaining. Anybody, anybody quick on their, on their math feet to do percentage on that? How, how much of the Bible we've done? Anybody? <laughs> A lot, yeah, that's right. 87%. We are 80, 87% uh, of the way through our, uh, our journey through the Old and New Testaments this year and learning about the story of God. I pray that uh, if, you, if you weren't here uh, last Sunday night, that you'll go online and uh, watch the message about the book of Acts which really should set the tone for how we understand the local church. And so, um, but then uh, you'll notice, uh, we've already done Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. We're not going directly to Romans because we are continuing the, the, the pattern that we started in the Old Testament where we're doing it chronologically. And this kind of helps you understand the development of the Bible. And, and in actuality, if we had done it fully chronologically, uh, we would have done Galatians first, because Galatians was the first book that was written in the New Testament. Uh, but the story of Jesus and the story of the early church is the background for the rest of the New Testament, so that was why we started there. And so anyway, this morning we will be going through the book of Galatians. And I want to tell you, uh, from the very outset, human beings absolutely amaze me. Uh, uh, I, I, there's this man uh, from New Zealand, uh, his name is Ivan Sagaden. Uh, and he was, a, uh, he was a, a race car driver in New Zealand, very famous race car driver. And over the period of five years, the police uh, gave him 32 tickets for not buckling his seatbelt. I guess he just figured that he didn't, uh, he, he was kind of above the law. I'm a race car driver. I'm a good driver. I'm, I don't need to wear a seatbelt. Wearing seatbelts always important, right? Clicker to ticket. Um, and so, uh, but the tickets didn't work. And uh, Sagaden just refused to buckle up. And so finally, instead of obeying the law, kids, I want you to pay attention because this, this should let you know something. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is what? Deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it, right? Well, uh, Mr. Ivan, uh, just, I guess, desiring to rebel, because there's really no other reason that I could imagine he would do this, created a fake seatbelt. It was just something that he tied to the top of the seatbelt and laid over his chest to make it look like he was wearing a seatbelt when somebody came by. So just think about, the, think about what that took versus just doing what? Versus just putting on a seatbelt every time. Which this is not, I mean, back in these days, it probably was just the lap belt. You know, we've just recently, in the last uh, couple of decades, gone to the shoulder strap. And so this guy, he created a fake seatbelt. And used it for a long time until, and you probably know what's coming, he was involved in a head-on collision. And then he learned the very, very hard way about why you wear seatbelts, because he hit the steering wheel and was immediately killed. And the coroner was amazed that he had gone through all of this trouble to create something fake when in actuality, when in actuality the real thing would have saved his life. You see, this little illustration 
uh, tells us the very true statement, when truly tested, what is fake will ultimately fail you. When truly tested, what is ultimately fake will fail you. Truth matters. What is true and what is false can in many cases have life and death consequences. Not just in this life, but in the next life as well. You will ultimately be held accountable for how you live and what you believe, not in some sort of, of, uh, of karma type way, but when you stand before the judgment seat of Almighty God and you have to give an account for your life, believers and unbelievers alike will stand before the judgment seat. For, for believers, for those, those who have trusted in Christ, you will stand before Jesus at His mercy seat. And even though you will give an account for your life, the blood of Christ will ultimately cover over all of your sin, over all of your half-heartedness, and you will be saved. You will be, be told, enter into the joy of your Father. But for those who've never trusted in Jesus, you will stand before God one day, and you will give an account for how you rejected Him over and over and over again. And how you will be held accountable for your life and what you did, most of all with the decision about Jesus. Now the good news is, is that Jesus Christ describes in us and has described uh, to us in the four gospel accounts that we've been given, what is most important to the heart of God. The kingdom of God being unleashed through the spirit of God, through the gospel, into our lives makes us new. And that newness, that, that new creation, is exactly what God is, is trying to do. He's trying to, he's trying to restore and redeem us. That's why the last two words of the four chapter, uh, the, the four plot lines of Scripture, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That's the, those are the, the four chapters of the Bible, if you will. And when Jesus died, redemption was accomplished. And when the Spirit of God applies redemption to our hearts, He doesn't just save us so that we can not go to hell. He saves us so that we can become agents of restoration in our society, in our community. And so we've, been, we've had a description of the gospel given to us. And we've seen it exemplified and fleshed out in the book of Acts last Sunday night. As we saw the Spirit unleashed into the early church and continuing the ministry of Jesus and fulfilling the Great Commission in Jerusalem and Judea and all Samaria and to the nations, to the ends of the earth. And what we saw was where this news about Jesus is embraced, real life as God intended is restored. But where this, new, this news is rejected, brokenness continues. Just as in the Old Testament... Just as in the Old Testament, we've seen all this year, what you do with the truth matters. And so the gospel serves as a fork in the road of life that has eternal consequences. And that is why the New Testament authors simply go from describing the gospel of Christ to defending the gospel of Christ. And this Sunday and next Sunday, we're going to study the three earliest books written in the New Testament. Galatians this morning, next Sunday morning, the book of James, and the next Sunday night, the, the, the book of Jude. And these very, three very interesting books all kind of have a specific purpose. You may have never thought about them this way. They're written uh, what's called polemically. Polemically, that means they're making an argument against false ideas about Jesus and the gospel. Their tones actually reflect the idea that ideas have consequences, and bad ideas don't just have bad consequences. Bad ideas have victims. 
And so in Galatians, Paul, who is an apostle of Jesus Christ, he seeks to attack the false gospel of false teachers who wanted to taint the pure gospel of faith and grace with works. In James, we have James, who is the brother of Jesus. He writes like Solomon. It's like a New Testament version of the wisdom literature. And he uses the Sermon on the Mount to show what kind of works true faith will produce. And then in Jude, Jude, who is another brother of Jesus, writes like an Old Testament prophet, pronouncing judgment upon the false teachers who had crept into the church. And so that kind of gives you an, an idea of how, I mean, how important is it to believe what's true? That's the, that's the question we need to be asking ourselves, not just as we approach the book of Galatians, but as we embark upon what Paul is going to call us to in the last chapter, Galatians chapter 6, this, this project of self-examination. This idea of self-examination, this idea of evaluating where you stand with God is, is one of the most important tasks that we, can, that we can go through ourselves and that we can do as a community project with our church family. Because the reality is that we are much more creative and innovative when it comes to the truth than God ever intended for us to be. We'd rather create a fake seatbelt than put on our regular seatbelt, Right? And, and we, could, we could talk about hundreds of other examples. I mean, I, 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 have, I, I had so many illustrations about uh, kittens picked up in the forest that were actually like tiny little bobcats, right? And they didn't find out until they had them like in the house, you know? Or, uh, or these, um, what was one of the other ones? Oh, the, one of my favorites is the Chinese zoo that tried to pass off this really hairy dog as a lion, right? Or even another zoo that tried to paint a horse to look like a zebra, right? I mean, sorry, I'm sorry, look like a giraffe. I mean, uh, you know, a zebra, maybe we could get away with, but a giraffe, oh my goodness, no. What is counterfeit is worthless. You need to understand that today. That's why Paul has the tone that he does in this letter. What is true matters, and it has life or death consequences, and what is counterfeit, what is ultimately fake, will fail you. And so as we jump into the book of Galatians this morning, I want you to understand this, this pure gospel that Paul is trying to convey to us, he sees as life or death. And so let's look, first of all, just kind of at the very first chapter of Paul as, as Paul gives us his focus. Now, just a note, the, the first words of the rest of the books that we're going to do are really important. Because most of the rest of the books that we're going to do are what are called epistles. E-P-I-S-T-L-E-S, epistles, which literally is just a fancy word for letters, okay? That means they're written from a person to a person or a group of people, right? And so these letters follow even the way that we kind of still do letters today. It opens with a greeting. And so the tone that Paul takes in his greetings, in his letters, and that other writers take in their, in their letters the words that they begin with show you where they're going. So look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace and peace, to, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present age, according to the will of God our Father, and to whom be the glory forever." Amen. And so that little Paul and Apostle, and then he adds in, not from men nor through man, guess what? He writes that because that's the very first thing he's going to tackle. 
And then when he talks about the, the fact that Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, guess what? That's what he's going to tackle. And so he starts off very intentionally. We're going we're gonna to learn to love Paul even more over the next several weeks as we study his letters. Because Paul was a masterful writer and communicator. And so Paul's focus is to, is to start out intentionally communicating a tone of frustration and astonishment. What would lead Paul to the point to where in this first book written in the New Testament, this first letter that's recognized as Scripture in the New Testament, why would Paul start like this? It's a very important question for us to ask. And that's going to take a little background. So flip over, keep your, put your little bookmark in, uh, in Galatians chapter 1, flip over to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Just as a little refresher from last Sunday night, just to make sure we understand this, this book has context, and that context is, is, uh, is not unknown to us. Acts chapter 13, we find Paul and Barnabas, and they are actually worshiping with the church at Antioch. Now, importantly, importantly, you need to know that there are two Antiochs. In the, in, the, in the New Testament kind of geography. And, and if you actually flip to the back of, of your Bible, you don't have to do now, but if you flip to the back of your Bible and look at those maps, right, that you're always wondering why they're there, uh, th- this is one of the things that you'll see. There's an Antioch that is kind of north of Jerusalem, uh, right kind of where the, in the curve of the Mediterranean Sea, right, into what's called, what's, uh, what would be called the Arabian Peninsula down there. Well, then there, that's called the Antioch of Syria. Well, then there's another Antioch that's north and kind of around, curves around the Mediterranean Sea, and it's in an area called Galatia. And so that's the Antioch where Paul is in Acts chapter 13. So Paul's very close to the churches to whom he's writing in, 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 in the book of Galatians. And so in Acts chapter 13, look at what it says in the very first part, in, in uh, verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting with the church there at Antioch, the Holy Spirit said, which just let that hit you for a second, uh, a a church that is vibrant and connected to truth is a church where the Holy Spirit is speaking and applying the truth of God's word into the lives of the people who who are gathered together there. It's so important. The Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. They sent them off on Paul's first missionary journey. And this first missionary journey was into the churches of Asia Minor. And so Paul uh, is traveling through what is now modern-day Turkey. And he and Barnabas go, go, and when they first go into a city, they immediately go to the synagogue. And they teach the Jews there about what Jesus has done, how he's the Messiah of the Old Testament, and the fact that they need to believe upon Jesus as that Messiah. Well, after he goes into the synagogue, he'll go out and he'll begin to preach to the Gentiles. And as he preaches to the Jews, some believe, and as he preaches to the Gentiles, some believe. But just as much as some believe, some reject it. Some get angry. And Paul faces death at least twice. I mean, we know he's almost killed one time when he's stoned to death outside of the city wall. Uh, we, we, we know that Paul literally was laying down his life for the gospel, and he was seeing Jews respond and receive uh, repentance and, or, uh, repent and receive uh, forgiveness of their sins, receive the Spirit, and he was seeing Gentiles respond, and the same thing was happening in their lives. But the problem was, was that truth always has to be fought for. And as Paul left these places, 
these people called false teachers or Judaizers came in. Now, Judaizers have nothing to do with people named Judy, okay? It's all, it's all about uh, these people who wanted to bring the system of Judaism into Christianity. And what they wanted to say was that, hey, listen, we're really glad that you've embraced Jesus, but Jesus was a Jewish Messiah. And if you want to uh, be in his family, be, be, in, be his culture, then you've got to become a Jew as well as a Christian. And you've got to be circumcised, and you've got to uh, start following the, the dietary uh, restrictions of Leviticus, and you've got to do this and this and this. And you remember, this is what Jesus directly confronted in the Sermon on the Mount. These over 683 laws that the Pharisees had created to, to come alongside the Old Testament law. And so these people, these Judaizers, were trying, these false teachers were trying to bring and mix Christianity with Judaism. But that's not what Paul had seen. And so it all comes to a head in Acts chapter 15. You can flip over there. Acts chapter 15, it's something called the Jerusalem Council. And I joked with you last week that this is how we know that the, uh, the, the, the early church in Jerusalem was a Baptist church because they formed a committee to talk about what God was already doing, right? And so that's just what we see here. It's not called First Baptist Church Jerusalem, but that was essentially what it was. And so uh, they're in Jerusalem, and they're discussing, can Gentiles be saved without becoming Jews? That's really the main question of Acts chapter 15. And so you see James, the brother of Jesus who wrote James, speak up. Uh, you see... Uh, Peter speak up because Peter's just had the experience with Cornelius, right? And he's seen these, these Gentiles get saved just and amazingly transformed. And then you see all of these other all all of these other people speak up, and the conclusion that they come to, look at verses 28 and 29 in Acts chapter 15. Here's the conclusion that they come to. Acts 15, 28 and 29. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these things, you will do well, very well. <laughs> that, that was, their, that was their, uh, their understanding of the whole thing. Basically, follow Christ alone. Don't try to mix Christianity with paganism. And also, don't try to mix Christianity with Judaism. Christianity stands on its own two feet because Jesus died and rose again. And that gospel is sufficient to save anyone, Jew and Gentile alike. And so that's the background because immediately as Paul left those churches in Galatia, guess who showed up knocking at the door? Those Judaizers all over again. And so turn back to the book of Galatians. That's where those little bookmarks come in handy, right? Turn back to the book of Galatians. And so what we're going to see here is Paul addressing these false teachers who have come in and said that, these, that Christianity needs to be mixed with Judaism. And that if you want to become a Christian, you've got to become a Jew as well. And so Galatians is a defense of the gospel message. And Galatians is also a helpful guide on Christian fellowship and community. Notice that Paul is not addressing the Judaizers. Paul's not addressing the false teachers and saying, hey guys, we can all get along, okay? We just need to hang out together, talk it out, right? You be you, I'll be me. You don't get that with Paul. In fact, Paul has some extremely strong language for those guys. Some of you men in here will love it, okay? So just go read Galatians, you'll see what I'm talking about. I, it really, like, I mean, this is, uh, Paul, uh, Paul 
Uh, Paul is a great example of biblical manhood, right? Biblical manhood. He's aggressive. And it, it probably, like a lot of us, maybe he says stuff and he's like, I might not have said, I might not should have said that, you know. And so Paul in Galatians is confronting these people who are trying to undermine him. And they try to undermine him in a few ways. First of all, they try to make accusations about Paul as a man. Look at verse 11. Uh, this is verse, verses 11 through 24, right? Verses 11 through 24. Basically, Paul goes through how he was called into ministry. Because what had they done? They came in and said, listen, guys, this Paul, y'all, just look at him. He looks a lot like that Pastor Ryan Johnson guy. Like, he's short. He's kind of chubby, right? His hair is running away from his, uh, away from his face because he's so ugly. I mean, that, that's kind of, the, that's kind of the, the, the accusations that they were making against him. I mean, this, you really want to follow that guy? That guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He's crazy. I mean, think about it. Just, just a few years ago, he was trying to kill Christians. Now he says he is one? And so they tried to undermine his authority to preach the gospel. And so Paul, in verses 11 through 24, gives a little bit of his background info, some of his bio, to remind them that his actions do not testify that he's crazy, but that he had been transformed by Christ. And you can just go through there and read through that. It's, it's like an abbreviated version of Paul's testimony. And it's crucial. He said, look in verse 12. He says, for the, the reason why his background is important, because he says, I did not receive my gospel from any man, nor was, it, it, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And he says, For you've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach among him to the Gentiles, or preach, preach him among the Gentiles, I didn't immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas. That's Peter, the apostle. And remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. And then he talks about, I went to these other places. In verse 24, and they glorified God because of me. Why? Because they saw what he was preaching was authentic. They're like, how does this guy know the gospel and about the works of Jesus like we know? We walked with him. How does he know? Paul says, because I walked with him too. He revealed himself to me. And some people think that Paul kind of in Arabia was, 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 was trained by Jesus for these three years. Now, that's an argument from silence. We don't know that for sure. That's reading into the text a little bit. But that's what a lot of commentators think is what happened, of, of why the apostles were able to put their stamp of approval on his gospel that he was preaching because it was so accurate. And that's the second objection that Paul wants to deal with. Is not only they, did they attack him, but they accused him of making up this message. And that's what the entirety of chapter 2 is all about. Paul didn't make up this message because he says... Verse 1 of chapter 2, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus with me. And he basically says that, that I was declaring this message about the Jews and Gentiles both being able to be saved by faith through Jesus. And uh, even though uh, I didn't walk with Jesus while he was in his earthly ministry, that doesn't mean that I made up my message. Look at verse 7. 
chapter 2, verse 7. He says, On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, that's to the nations, to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised also worked through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised, that is, to the Jews. And so Paul gives us this recollection of how the apostles and the leaders of the early church continued to validate his message and how he was preaching to the Gentiles. But there was a problem. Look in verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, that's the Antioch in Galatia, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For certain men came from James, and he was eating with the Gentiles. Uh, so so let, me, let me sum up the situation for you. So Peter is there with Paul in Antioch, and he's just hanging out. He's celebrating. He's eating dinner with these Gentiles. And he's acting one way. This, this kind of shows how uh, Peter and Paul knows what it was, know what it was like to be like in high school. All right? Because at one point, Peter's eating with the Gentiles, and he's, he's having a good time. But then the Jews show up, and Peter changes his tone completely. And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, we, we did this, and I, I was telling him about, you know, circumcision and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and Paul is just kind of looking at Peter and saying, you're, you're being two-faced right now. I mean, he, even, he even calls him. He says, you're being a hypocrite. There, verse 13, the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically, two-faced, along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Barnabas even, yeah, you know, I love my Jewish heritage. I was, you know, I'm from this tribe, I was circumcised on the eighth day, I can quote to you the Torah, and, and they're just like spouting off their Jewish heritage as if it gains them anything with God. And so, Paul says, not only did I receive an authentic message, but I've lived it out with the consistency that even Peter has struggled to live it out with. And here's the core of his message. Look at verse 16. Here's the core of Paul's gospel message. We know that a person is not justified, that is, declared righteous, by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we also have believed in Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be Justified. And if you want to underline that, if you don't mind underlining in your Bible, underline that. That's the turning point for Paul. Because from that point on, Paul begins to explain that this is the gospel. This is the message. This is, this is why we need to trust in the, in the gospel of Jesus Christ alone. And if he, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 is a favorite verse of many. But do you know why Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ? And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I live in the flesh, I now, I now live by faith in the Son of God. This is the kind of apostolic authority he's saying. He's saying, if you believe in Jesus, listen to me. Because as I stand before you, I'm simply telling you the words that Jesus has spoken to me. That's what, that's what that verse means in context. He's saying, he's saying, when you're looking at me... I'm telling you what Jesus wants you to hear. It's a huge, huge place to stand as a preacher of the gospel. 
And so Paul responds to these accusations, then he begins to explain the core components of the gospel. So look at Galatians chapter 3. Listen to the tone here. Oh, foolish Galatians, this verse 1, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Can I, can I tell you why this resonates with me? It, it comes from my own story. Is that when I was uh, 16 years old, spring break, 1996, Panama City Beach, Florida, Florida Laguna Beach Christian Retreat, right? So I don't have a Jewish heritage, but that would be like my Christian heritage, like growing up in church heritage. I've been, you know, spring break, Laguna Beach Christian Retreat, mid-90s. That was, those were the times, man. Those were the times. You know, I mean, you know. And so we're, um, man, we, we, were, we were there, and uh, Brent Gambrell uh, was, the, was the pastor that year, the camp, camp pastor. And we had this husband and wife. Uh, they went by their names, but their nickname was the Velvet Hammer. It was interesting. Like they were, they were, they were great. They were the music uh, that week. But I remember God stirring in my heart like I'd never experienced before. Part of it was because I was broken, and it was like I could hear Him. I mean, it was like it was like one of those things where, like, I, I literally it wasn't an audible voice, but like I I, I knew it was Him undeniable. And I remember leaving like uh, the uh, worship service that night and kind of doing like, doing like you do, you know, you go and you hang out in your little circles and, and I'm just like, man, this is it. My life's changing. Like I'm going to go back to church. I'm going to get baptized again. I'm going to start living right. I'm going to start, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to stop cussing. I'm going to stop chasing after girls. I'm going to stop doing, and I, I started naming off all these things, right, that I was going to do in response. And I had friends who were looking at me like, hey, Ryan, like you're not getting this. Like that's really not how you respond. What was I doing? I was responding by works. And they were saying, no, the first step, the first and biggest step is to do what? To trust in the finished work of Christ alone. That's what they were trying to tell me, but stubborn Ryan was hearing what he wanted to hear. And so from March 1996 until July 1996, what do you think happened in my life? I wasn't climbing a ladder closer to God. What was happening? I was sliding down a slippery slope of destruction. My life got worse because I tried to work my way into a relationship with God. And guess what? You can't do that. That's what Paul's telling them in Galatians 3, 1 through 8. He's saying, you can't, Ryan, it's not like because you were such a beautiful singer and you cried all these tears and you were on your face and all these things that God came near to you. No. He's like, the Spirit of God was working inside of you. Don't respond by works. Respond by the Spirit in faith. Trusting in Jesus. That's the only way to respond. And for those of you who know my testimony, that's, that's what clicked in July of 1996. I said, July 1997. July 1997, I, I, it, 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 it literally, like it just, it just clicked. Oh, oh, it starts with Jesus. Now I'd grown up in church. Like I'd been to every vacation Bible school since I was able. 
I'd been in the kids' choir. I don't know why they didn't make me Jonah. I was kind of still mad about that, but still, I, you know, I was still there, and, and I was still, I, God, surely you're happy with me. I would, I'd been, listen, this was how holy I was. I was baptized on Easter when I was 10. Yeah, I feel it. Meaningless. Why? Because it didn't start with faith. It was all about my effort and me trying to build some kind of ladder of things I did and things I didn't do to climb my way into the presence of God. And instead, what I found is that I was just sliding down a slippery slope of destruction. And that's what Paul begins with because he wants to show us something about the Old Testament law and about why you can't live by the Old Testament law. He says, guys, he tells them this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. He says, it's always been about faith. He quotes Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. The righteous shall live by faith. It's always been about faith. And then he gives them this example in, in verses 15 through 17 about how Abraham, Abraham was saved by faith. And look at this. Look at this, verse 17. He says, he, he, you see that, that number there, 430? What he's saying is, Abraham was saved by faith 430 years before the law was even given to Moses. 430 years before the law even came, Abraham was saved. So how can you be saved by the law? Abraham is the guy you look up to, and Abraham is your example of how to respond. It's got to be by faith. In verse 19, he says, so why would God give the law? In verses 19 through 29, he gives... The purpose of the law. The law, verse 22, was given to reveal that we can't work our way into salvation. The law is not a ladder by, by which you climb your way into the presence of God. It's a rock that you smash into to help you recognize that you're broken and destroyed and you can't do it on your own. That's what the law was meant to do. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. He says, the heart is like a dark cellar. Imagine it. The heart is like a dark cellar full of lizards, cockroaches, beetles, and all kinds of reptiles and insects, which in the dark we see not. But the law takes down the shutters and lets in the light, and we see the evil. That's what the law does. And in doing so, verse 24, Paul calls the law a guardian. A guardian. A guardian against what? A guardian against thinking that we can be righteous enough to enter His presence on our own. Augustine says the, the utility of the law is that it convinces man of his weakness and compels him to apply for the medicine of grace which is in Christ. And this is why, folks, this is why we've got to be discerning listeners. Because even over since May, a uh, famous pastor, not that far away from here, Andy Stanley. I've appreciated so much about Andy Stanley's ministry, but he's dead wrong on this. He says that we need to unhitch, this is the word he used, to unhitch the Christian faith from the Old Testament. We need to unhitch the Christian faith from the Old Testament. He did it by preaching a sermon on Acts chapter 15. Which, if anything, it doesn't show us that we need to unhitch the Christian faith from the Old Testament. It means that we need to understand what God was trying to do through the Old Testament. Which is exactly why we need the book of Galatians. That's what, God was try that's what God's trying to show us through the book of Galatians. 
If you want to unhitch the Christian faith from the Old Testament, then the, the first person you need to talk to is Jesus, who quoted the Old Testament often, said that none of, the, none of the Old Testament law would pass away, that he would fulfill it all, and then also said, Luke chapter 24, he said that it all pointed to him. So I think we need to study the Old Testament, which is why we've been doing what we're doing. And so the law turns on the light so that we can see the evil in our heart. It guards us against thinking that we can work our way into his presence. And it serves these purposes. And in serving these purposes, it warns us against the lies of legalism. We don't need to forget the law. Because living by the law... I'm sorry, we, we, don't need, we don't need to forget the law because the law points us to Christ. But if we want to live by the law, then that puts us in another position. And that's what chapter 4 is about. It puts us into slavery. You see, God is at work in these different seasons of history. He gave the law at a certain point. And look at verse 4, chapter 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 8 through 31, he gives an example that we are children of the promise. What he's saying is, he's saying, don't be a slave by trying to live your life by a list of rules. You were meant for more than that. That's not life according to God, but instead the life according to God is Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not again submit again to a yoke of slavery. You see, it matters what you believe. Look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. You know that phrase I've been saying all year? Ideas have consequences. Ideas have consequences. Ideas have consequences. That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying the moment that you give yourself over to a little bit of deception, you have just opened the door to be deceived in every area. That's why you've got to stand firm. Stand firm in the freedom that you have been given. But look at verse 13. There's an there's a, there's a opposite ditch. You can overcorrect from legalism and go somewhere else. Verse 13, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So what Paul's saying is, is he's saying you need balance. Don't think that you're supposed to live by a list of do's and don'ts, but also don't think that the law doesn't matter. Don't think that you need to unhitch the Christian faith from the Old Testament. That's what he's saying. And so, Paul, if you're saying these things to us, then how are we supposed to live? I mean, because honestly, maybe some of you are in the place where you're like, I'm just confused. Like, I don't, get, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get what the point is about. Well, that's the rest of chapter 5. This is true Christianity. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. I mean, that's, I'm sorry. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, this is, this is the point of Galatians, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those things, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
uh, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, there is no law. Do you know what that word means? I mean, you know what that means? There is no law. He means that if you're united in the Spirit, if you're united with the Spirit and you're walking in the Spirit, then He's going to lead you to do God's will. The Spirit of God will never lead you to do something that is against God's will. So it's not about a list of do's and don'ts. It's not about unhitching your face from the Old Testament. It's about walking in the fullness of the Spirit. And when you walk in the fullness of the Spirit, which we'll continue to venture into throughout the rest of our, uh, our journey into the letters of Paul, when you walk in the fullness of the Spirit, He leads you to do the will of God. And that's what you are meant to that's what you're created for, was to live consistently in the presence of Almighty God. That's why the Spirit has been put inside of you. That's what John chapter 14, 15, and 16 are about. And that's what we saw the early church in the book of Acts living out. This is true Christianity. And notice, Galatians 5, 22, it's not the fruits of the Spirit. What is it? It is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. And so Galatians chapter 6 is what it looks like practically to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. What does it mean to love? What does it mean to have joy and peace and patience and kindness and all these different things? Look at chapter 6 and there's your explanation. Be on guard against your sin. Examine yourselves in the context of your local church. You have your own loads to carry, but don't you see your brother and sister needing you to help them carry the loads they're struggling, struggling underneath? If there's a call to biblical fellowship, I don't know what else could be. That, that is it. He, says, he's, he basically tells us, don't compare yourselves to each other. Don't use each other as a measuring stick, but get in the yoke together and love one another and walk as siblings of the same family. I realize this entire message has been, has been heavy and... Uh, many of you, if you really want to be students of this, you might need to go back and listen to it when it's, when it's online. So I want to end kind of lighthearted, if that's okay. Is that okay? Okay. So I love a lot of the comforts and conveniences that we have as people living in 2018, right? I love the fact, I love the fact that we're not living under the law and we can wrap anything in bacon, Right? I love that. I love how adventurous we are in food. We make things like, uh, sorry, I'm going to skip ahead. We make things like the turducken, right? Around Thanksgiving, right? It's a, it's a duck stuffed inside of a chicken, stuffed inside of a turkey, right? The turducken. It's, an, it's amazing. <laughs> Some of you are like, oh, I want to try that. Um, I, I, I love that. But I, I truly do think, I, a lot of people think that, that artificial intelligence is going to be the end of humanity. I don't. You know what I think is going to be the end of humanity? I think designer dogs are going to be the end of humanity. And I struggle to even show you some of these pictures because I know I'm going to come, go home and my daughter's going to be like, I want one of those. It's, have, have, y'all heard, have y'all heard about the Puggle? It's a Pug and Beagle mix. Maybe, maybe you've heard about the Chewini. See, I knew I, this was going to be bad. It's a Chihuahua and a, and a Weenie Dog mix, Right? Or you could cross anything with a poodle. I don't know why. We, I don't know why we're doing this. This is a pugapoo. I think he's ugly. But then you've got the corgi poo, the cyber poo, the yorkie poo, malty poo. All just yeah. You get you get my drift. We're gonna create some kind of zombie dog, and that's gonna be the end of humanity. Anyway. <laughs> 
I tell you this to say, there's some things you can be adventurous with, right? Put bacon on anything. Maybe you want to mix your dog breeds and create some kind of cute, you know, two-pound hybrid dog. But can I tell you, there's one thing you better not play with and mix anything with, and that's the gospel. Why do we as a church care about, I mean, what, Ryan, why do you care about what's taught in Sunday school? I mean, really? Why do, why do, you, why do you insist upon being so dogmatic about the, the, going through the Bible every Sunday? Why do you insist, I mean, can't we just stick to good, like chicken soup for the soul kind of devotionals during the week? Just make us feel good. Make us feel good. Folks, a desire to go to the Bible to make you feel good is just as deadly as those Judaizers who are entering into the church. You don't go to the Bible to feel good. You go to the Bible to hear about Jesus because Jesus is the only one who satisfies your soul. That is the gospel. There is no other Savior. There is no other Lord. It is Jesus Christ alone. Don't mix anything with the gospel. This is the way that Augustine put it. He said, if you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, it's not the gospel that you believe, but yourself. I am persuaded, and there could be some of you in this room. It's not a scare tactic. This is a proper application of the book of Galatians. I believe that there are some of you in this room who are not, are not walking in biblical Christianity, but you're walking in a Christianity of your own design. Did you know that that's possible? That it's possible to create God in your own image instead of you being conformed into his? That's why self-examination needs to be a community project. That's why the local church is so important. That's why families are so important, centered around the Word of God. That's why it's so important to be people who are purely biblical people, students of the Word, people who crave the Word of God and want to devour it because it is food for our very souls. Is that you? I hope so. Have you mixed the gospel and tried to create some kind of gospel hybrid in your life? Like you know that you're doing things that... That God would, God is condemned in His Word. You're, you're going directions that God has condemned, but you're saying, well, maybe if I go far enough down there, I'll break through and I'll find life. Folks, that's, that's not the way to life. That was the road I was on. And by God's grace, He saved me from that road. Because if the same Ryan had responded in works and continued to respond in works, 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 if I had died, I would have bust hell wide open, folks. The fact that I'd grown up in church didn't matter at all. The fact that I'd been baptized on Easter and, and done all these Christian retreats and vacation Bible schools and children's choirs and all this kind of, didn't matter. Because why? Because I was not walking with Jesus. Because His Spirit was not inside of me. Because I'd, I honestly, if you if had just dug into my life, I didn't care about Him. I didn't care what He said. What made me happy? See the danger? Some of us are worshiping our own happiness and we're calling it Christianity. Some of us are worshiping our own comfort and we're calling it Christianity. And we're seeking to redefine and abandon core components of the gospel and Paul would tell you, don't do it. Because you will create an awful Christianity and American hybrid that will not get you to heaven but will send you straight to hell.
That's why there will be some who even cast out demons and Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. Folks, I don't want to hear that. I don't want any of you to hear that. And so today's the day to where you know if you've got things that you've just said, God, don't go there in my life. Don't speak to me there. Don't, don't, I don't, I don't want to hear your will there. It's a dangerous place to be. It's a dangerous place to be. Is he Lord? Do you crave his word? Do you love the gospel? My prayer is that he would continue to make us gospel people. Let's pray together.